Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the 72nd Fireside Chat with Tom Campbell and our guests. Thank you, Oliver and Justin, for running this, this server and for the editing work. Let's start today's question with Masi. Please go ahead. Uh, the, co the components of larger consciousness system. Uh, I heard you say many times that the computer and the consciousness are not the same. Can we say that the larger consciousness system has three components? The consciousness and the computer that are unmanifested and non-physical realities and the virtual reality that is a manifested reality. How are the consciousness and the computer not the same? Don't you say that consciousness is the computer? Well, you've got me uh, on that one. You say, I've heard you say many times that the computer and the consciousness are not the same, but I don't know that I would agree with that statement. You know, fundamentally, they are the same. So I'm not sure where you've heard me say that. They're different in the sense that, you know, what I typically say is that you have a larger consciousness system that's just consciousness, and it configures itself as a computer, it, like, well, you might put it this way, it configures a part of itself to serve as the computer to do the rendering of our virtual reality and other virtual realities. It also configures itself into smaller subsets, which are the IUOCs. So there's one consciousness, and the IUOCs, the computer, and everything else are just subsets of that one consciousness. So, um, you know, if you were, let's say, a computer scientist, you could imagine that as the IUOCs are, and actually the big computer itself, are emulated computers within a computer. You know, we can, we can do that in computer science. For example, in the early days of the Mac, of the Mac, there was more software for PCs than Mac, so Mac had an emulated PC inside the Mac okay. so that you could use Mac software. I mean, you could use PC software on the Mac. So if the system does an emulation of a bunch of pieces of itself, then they're all IUOCs or another piece of itself, and that serves as a computer for this virtual reality, and maybe another piece that's a computer for another virtual reality, or you can just think of one big consciousness and it's just doing all this stuff all at once. It's just that is more abstract and harder for people to get their head around. It's easier if you break it into pieces. Can I ask you, is the computer sort of part of our subjective consciousness? Is, is, it, is, it, or is it some uh, somehow separated for, from the subjectivity of our consciousness? It's separated from the subjectivity of our consciousness. And maybe that's what you've heard me say. Yes, it sends us. It's the, it's the rendering engine. It sends us. Now, when I say separated, I don't necessarily mean in space. Like I say, these are all just subsets of one system, the larger consciousness system. So separated like spatially or something. No, we're all part of this one system. But separated like in different partitions within that one system? Yes. So the computer sends the IUOC or the free will awareness unit a, a data stream and it interprets that data stream as the reality. 
But those are two different functions that are going on in within the consciousness system. There's one part of that system that's serving up a virtual reality and another part of that system that's getting that data from that virtual reality. So it's, you know, it's a little confusing because it's all one thing. It's not things that are entirely separate, but it's separate subsets, separate pieces of that one thing. And they're all playing together in order to help the consciousness system evolve. Okay, all right. So, can I ask an, another question as well? Sure. Uh, I have another question, and it's related to IOCs experiencing contra contradicting MBT. Uh, last time I said that I, that I experienced the virtual reality also as consciousness. The truth is that I don't know whether the world that I experience is a virtual reality or not because my scientific understanding of reality is not on a such level that I could know that. But what I know is that I experience consciousness not only here and nowhere, but also everywhere. What I mean by here is that I experience consciousness as a non-physical and non-local, non unmanifested existence. By nowhere, what I mean is that I experience that consciousness doesn't exist in any particular point of the manifested world, including my body and by ev everywhere. What I mean is that even though I don't experience that consciousness is in any part particular point of this manifested world, I experience the entire manifested world as myself, or in other words, other words, my consciousness, just like I experience consciousness being non-physical, non-local, and unmanifested existence. Furthermore, I experience that although I am an individual, I am one with everything, including all other IUOCs, even though, of course, I don't experience their subjective experience, but only my own. This non-dual experience of being one with everything might also contradict the metaphysics of MBT, just like my experience of consciousness being not only here and nowhere, but also everywhere. Should I therefore dismiss MBT or at least those aspects of the theory that don't match my subjective experience? Well, again, I'm at a loss to say what, you know, what to tell you other than I agree, my consciousness is just like yours. <laughs> I have all those same ideas. It is non-physical. It is um, omnipresent. Only, you know, it is, it's everywhere. I don't, uh, I don't understand why there's a conflict with MBT. I have the same sort of uh, awareness of my consciousness that, uh, that you do. Yes, maybe the difference is that I experience the manifested world as myself. And of course, I don't really know on a scientific level what, what that is, whether that's a virtual reality or not. Okay. But so conscious, therefore, therefore, I say consciousness is here, nowhere and everywhere, and not just here yeah. and nowhere. Okay, uh, that might be a difference. Uh, I wouldn't say that I experience all these other realities as myself. In other words, I am not the reality. I'm an, I am a observer or a participant in the reality, but I wouldn't say that I am the reality. 
Now, if I am, that's, you know, that would be my, my normal viewpoint. Now, if I go up to the viewpoint where I, where I kind of merge with the larger consciousness system, then that would all change. At that point, I am it. I am everything. I'm every blade of grass, uh, every tree, every human being. Yes, and yes. I'm everything at that point. From that, from that vantage point, then I would see it that way. But from the vantage point of me going out and exploring other realities in which I can experience, and I should say here that any reality that you in which you can experience is a virtual reality. It takes a virtual reality in order to have experience. In order to have experience, you need context. And the rules that define the virtual reality provide that context of the experience that you can have in that virtual reality. So when I am out uh, exploring or traveling or doing things, I don't see it in the context that I am the reality. I see it in the context that I am getting a data stream and that data stream allows me to interact in a particular virtual reality. And then I can drop that data stream and get a different data stream. And now I'm able to interact in that reality and so on. Or I can come back here to this virtual reality, this physical universe that we, that's what we call it. And I can latch onto that data stream and now I can interact in this reality. So I see it that way with myself as an individual that can connect to these various reality systems, even though I know I am a part of the bigger picture. But if I meld with that bigger picture and become it, then I don't see it that way. But then I see myself as a part of everything. But in that case, I'm not getting a data stream in a virtual reality. And I'm not really experiencing action and interaction so much as I'm just experiencing existence and being a part of everything. It's a different kind of thing. It's not like uh, there's time. There is no time. It's not like there's, well, now I'm here and now I'm there and now I'm doing this and now I'm doing that. I don't have an eye at all. My eye disappears. I'm just a part of that larger system and I am a piece of everything, but that's not so much an experiential interaction as it is just an awareness. So I kind of make a little difference there. So, I, you know, I can see both, both of your viewpoints and I have each of those viewpoints different times, depending on what I'm doing. But to get to your very last question, if you find something in your experience that disagrees with MBT, then go with your experience. Yes, yeah. l- let MBT go. Go with your experience. It's your experience is uh, what's important. Your experience is what defines your reality. And if MBT doesn't say anything to that experience, then let it go. Follow your fo- follow your own experience, not a book. Yeah. I wanted to know a little bit more about the virtual reality. Uh, could you say that uh, your consciousness creates the virtual reality, or w- would it be better to say that your consciousness, in collaboration with the computer, creates the virtual reality? I would say that now that we have seen that my consciousness, my what I call my consciousness, my IUOC, is a subset of that larger thing, 
Yeah. Then I would say that I am receiving a data stream from another part of the consciousness system, some computer somewhere, or some part of the system configured as a computer that's feeding me a data stream according to a rule set. And I'm getting that data. And because of that, I can experience, I can interact within that reality. So I see it in those kinds of terms, even though I'm aware that it's really all one thing interacting with itself, if you if you like. So yes, I, I don't see that I'm the source of the virtual reality when I'm interacting in a virtual reality. When I'm in that virtual reality, I'm not in that that overall big picture view of I'm one with everything. I'm me and I'm interacting inside a virtual reality at that point. So I just change my focus to a different viewpoint. That way I can have a different kind of experience and make different sorts of choices. When I'm in that big expanded viewpoint, I'm not really making choices. I'm awareness, I'm awareness, but I'm not a choice maker. So from that viewpoint, it's hard to evolve. You just are, you're sitting there and it's nice. And it's a, it's a profound experience, but it doesn't help you grow up much as an individual, you see? So you need that, that other experience too, where you're in a virtual reality, making choices according to that, you know, according to your quality and good choices, bad choices, you learn and you grow and you change. So it's just a different viewpoint of the same thing. And the the viewpoint of being an individual in a virtual reality then is the is the place where you can learn, grow, make choices. And the place where you are one with everything is the place where you gain just the understanding of what existence is yes. really like, just the being. But two different functions. Can I ask you one question related to virtual reality? And that is that, can we say that the computer is sort of that what creates the virtual reality and then consciousness is the one that interprets it and experiences that? Yeah, I would say that the consciousness, the larger consciousness system, again, a piece of that larger consciousness system creates that reality. And it does that with a rule set. It has to be a consistent reality with consistent rules. Otherwise, it's hard to learn in something that's totally random. So you need the rules. You need consistency. And then another piece of that system, me, logs on and interacts with and has experience within the confines of that rule set. And I'm just receiving the data that 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 other part of the larger system, that computer is sending me. So yes, I see it in individual terms like that because that puts me in a position of evolving my consciousness, evolving through my choices. It's a, you know, it's, it's like all of these, there's another way of looking at all of these are metaphors. Larger consciousness system is a metaphor. An IUOC, individual unit of consciousness, is a metaphor. They're all metaphors to represent different functions of consciousness. So, consciousness is a single is a single thing, but it has lots of function. It's not just a simple thing. 
It's a thing with other, you know, with piece parts and reasons for those piece parts, just like our body. Our bodies are very complex things. You know, we have lots and lots of organs and different parts, and they all have different functions, but they all work together in one body. Well, the consciousness system's like that. It's one system, but it's got a lot of functions to enable it to evolve more effectively than it would if it was just, you know, one consciousness or a whole bunch of consciousness just realizing that they were a part of everything. There wouldn't be so much evolution there. It's just an experience. That's that's awareness, and it isn't individual. You have no identity when you're in that space. There is no I. And it's not a place where you're going to grow up a lot, even though it feels really nice. <laughs> and, it, and you feel like, well, I'm as grown up as I could be. Well, not so. You could take your little piece and grow up a lot more. And as you grow up, the system grows up because you're a part of it. So that's kind of, if you think it's all metaphors, mind games, that the system plays within itself in order to affect its own evolution. All right, all right. Does that help? Definitely, yes. Thank you. Okay. We'll have Jan next then. Thank you. How do you go about emotional triggers like irritation or annoyedness when meeting other people? And why do I get irritated? I'm, I mean, I'm also get irritated when, when my emotional state is not quite like in love and understanding, then I get much more irritated by, by things because I interpret them as, Oh, what, what is he against me or something? Um, and is it because of their emotional states and I just feel them? Or is it something resonating with a fear inside of me and gets mine? That, that would be the first question. Well, I'll ask you a question. How does that, when you, if you feel irritated or annoyed, do you feel irritated or annoyed at something or somebody? Or do you just feel irritated and annoyed, but not particularly have that feeling focused at anything in particular? It's more like a, um, an insecurity or, or an, um, it's like, I'm not sure. It's, it's, it's like, why is he like that? Or why is she like that? And mm -hmm. um, is there something more behind it? And is there sadness? Do they do this because they want to get attention or because they want to, um, yeah, want to present their ego, want to identify with some kind of, um, idea of themselves that make them feel better like oh i'm really well uh, well read and have a lot of knowledge so i feel better if i present my knowledge to people and is that something to be i mean it's a beautiful thing if someone likes a thing and then gets really happy about it it shouldn't be something bad but in some way it's weird if i don't know i I have the feeling there is, is a fear of not showing oneself what, what one likes, really. And I'm not sure. What's your take on that? Okay. Um, I don't think it's because uh, you're, you are just uh, resonating with, with what you feel there. In other words, you, you, you come up, you, you're with a person and they are maybe excited about something. They are maybe uh, into something. 
and you begin to feel annoyed or a little irritable? Is that more what you're, what's happening, that you're around people and you begin to feel, get, get feelings of, of upset or annoyed? Yeah. Occasionally, yeah. Like, I want to feel happy, I want to be joyful, but then I distrust myself of being able to do that. And then I, I also try, that. that is one of the fears, like um, looking for a firm, formation in the other people. So am I doing it right? Like this is all the time happening. Like, am I doing it right? Like the helper syndrome, like I really want to help here. Do I, am, am I likable enough? Like, am I love, love enough? And it's always the seeking for more. And... Yeah. Or basically just making it right, and so they they feel all right with themselves. And yeah, I, I think when you start feeling uh, uh, annoyedness and an irritation, it's probably more with yourself mm-hmm. than than with anything else. That's why I first asked you: was was your irritation or your or your annoyedness focused on something else, something external to you? Oh, I'm annoyed with this or that. But I think the answer is no. Your annoyedness yeah. and your and your irritation is really with you. So, you know, <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, kind of, yeah. That's yeah. that's where it is. So it's not that uh, they're getting a, yeah, they are getting one of your own fears going, but they're not really getting it going. You're getting it going. Yeah, you know, it's not that they're doing anything. You're there. And you're feeling insecure, and then you start to get annoyed with yourself because you're feeling insecure, which probably makes you feel more insecure, which then makes you more annoyed, and you know that spins downward and until you feel like you failed and it didn't and it didn't work out very well. So yeah. that's that seems to be what's going on. Take it, uh, take it slowly. Don't feel like you have to leap into this interaction with other people. Take it slowly. You may do better at first with a with a one-on-one rather than a one-on-many. You know, you in a crowd may be more difficult to deal with than, than a one-on-one, somebody that, that, that you know pretty well. And you're going to have to build your, your self-esteem up to where you don't feel insecure to the point that... You feel, I'm okay. I have opinions. <laughs> I have things going on with me. I could share those, and they will be interesting to other people, and I'm interested in those other people, and I will listen to what they, they have to say. And I may or may not be helpful to people, but I'll just interact with them the way I do and see what happens. You see, that way you don't put yourself in a spot of having to perform. Uh-huh. If you say, all right, I see these people, and I need to be helpful to them. I need to help them. All right, now you've put yourself in a situation where you have a job to do and you have to perform in that job, which immediately gives you performance anxiety, (laughs) which then creates the problem, you see? So rather than performing, just just say, I'm going to interact with these people. And maybe I'll be helpful to them, maybe I won't. Maybe they'll be helpful to me. Maybe they won't. But we're going to learn something about each other. We're going to share some of life because when you share your life with other people, it helps them see a bigger picture because you're different than them. 
And when they share their life with you, it helps you see a bigger picture just because they're different than you. Well, you offer them the same thing. You know, so share yourself, but don't have any preconceived notion about how you're going to be helpful. Just let that be for a while. And then once you understand these people better and you know them, then might you might see that, well, you know, I think I could help them with an issue, but don't set yourself up as their therapist or something so that now you have to cure them. You know, now you're creating more performance anxiety. Just interact with them. You'll help people just by being authentic and caring. People will find that helpful. Even if you never do anything to help them other than just be yourself, just getting to know you, sharing yourself with somebody is going to be helpful to them because they will learn something just from interacting with you. You don't have to do anything special. Just like you learn from people, when you get to know somebody, you learn from people just by interacting with them. So relax a little. Don't feel like it's something you have to perform and a, you know, a challenge you have to win mm-hmm. <clears throat> because then there's this you know, performance anxiety and this fear of failure you know, right. hanging, hanging over top the whole situation. And then you get wadded up and then it, it all kind of, that kind of crumbles as you go. So just one step at a time, no expectations, mm-hmm. no, no real goals in mind, just interact, just share. It's like, um, small, most, uh, small situations where, where I find myself in. like, it's always, um, a struggle at first, then the realization comes in, but, but the thoughts, come in constantly, like the fear is still there and irritation comes and a thought creates that emotion and the tendency is still there, but, but I can bring myself back to the body and, and just stay there and don't, and, 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 I saw, and I say myself, I don't have to perform. I don't have to be at something special. And I always tell that myself. And on the other hand, I say to myself, just go into the body. And I'm still constantly, no, I do that, do that. But in the end, I, I have it in my mind that I don't have to do anything at all. And just being with, with an intention, with a calm intention, and just to arrive that, like, to, I just want to listen here, and that's it, and nothing more. Like, and, and just allowing myself just to do that. Like, because I have uh, the tendency to do multiple things at once, uh, simultaneously, and, yeah, that's stressful. Yeah, just listen. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way to start. Just listen. Just be part You know, you need to connect with other people. You can't, you can't live, you know, in a cave all by yourself. You can't live as a hermit. That's, that's not good. It's not healthy and you're not going to, to learn so much that way. You need to interact with other people. But if that's a scary thing, then first just listen, just be with them and just listen. And if they say something about that, say, well, Jan, you haven't had anything to say. What's your opinion? You may say, well, I'd rather just listen. You know, I'm just learn. I'm in the learning mode now. I don't, uh, I don't have a strong opinion on anything. I'm just, I'm just out there learning, seeing what other people think. So, you know, and that's okay. If you say that, they'll accept that. They'll accept that and go on. And if they can't accept that and they keep needling you, well, you need to find different friends. You don't, <laughs> you don't, you don't need to go out with those people. You see, if they're going to pick at you, then you need to find other people to 
to be with. Just one step at a time. Yeah. Small steps, one step at a time. Okay. Um, would you mind asking the yeah. second question? Yeah, sure. Go ahead. Okay. Um, how to help a person that is bipolar? That person also had awakening experiences with feelings of deep connectedness and love, but then getting too overwhelmed by it and getting some kind of God complex wanting to help everybody, but then losing the sense of the material world. The stuff you should do is not important and it seems so mundane to him. <laughs> he wants that feeling back, but also combines it with terms like bad, psychosis, illness, bipolar. He's just constantly switching. And um, I, had, I had conversations with him a lot and I just wanted to be with him and just wanted to stay with, with the present presence with presence and but in, in my mind constantly trying to get what what's happening in his world and trying to, to understand and get behind his bigger pic picture mm. and he was collecting some stuff but then was sliding into belief traps all the time again and again by exaggerating on the feeling and the and then the thought was um uh um extremely or extent extensify the feeling Uh, so that he connected that and said, oh, yeah, that's because of the, the thought. And then he, he interpreted everything and then made a new whole new story. And But he was in some kind of intuitive state where he was feeling people and was helping just mm -hmm. deep from his heart. And he was really loving. And then he was um, punishing himself again because he thought he's bipolar and schizophrenic or something else. And he gets yeah. tablets uh, like uh, drugs to... To keep him down, but yeah. yeah, tell tell him that he should just have the experiences as they happen, and not have to make up stories to go with them, and not have to explain them to other people or even to himself. He just has them. See, he's probably having experiences just like uh, Masi was talking about this experience where you are one with the system. You're a part of everything. That's kind of the the God's view of reality if you if you like it's the it's the view of the larger consciousness system and if you feel that that unity with everything then that is a very profound experience but rather than try to make up a story with that oh i had that experience oh okay i must be god's best buddy oh i need to go out and tell everybody else and you know fix them and you see once you get into a start making up stories about it and having to do something about it, then it creates the problems. But he can have that and tell him that's okay. That doesn't mean that he is having a psychosis. <laughs> that's real. You can't have that perspective. That's a real thing. It's a very profound thing, and it's a, it's a very good experience that everybody should have. That's not a sickness. But if you start creating stories around that then and feeling that, you know, it's your mission to save the world or, you know, other things, then that is a problem. So I would try to tell him that it's, it's not something bad to have that experience. Just have it, but let it be. You don't have to do anything with it. You don't have to be in charge of it. Just experience it, feel it. And it's a wonderful experience, but You know, there's also the experience of being here 
in this reality and interacting here and doing things here. And don't get the two confused. You know, there's just two different things, two sets of experiences that are available to everyone, actually. And don't take them to, you know, don't make the experience the thing that is important. The thing that's important is what you learn from it. Personally, what you learn from it and in the latter, when you're here, the choices that you make while you're in it. That's what's important. The experience itself is just an experience. Your choices are what are really important. So that experience of being one with everything, well, you don't make choices when you're in that experience. It's just an experience. So take that experience and let it tell you what the nature of love is like. And then you have other experiences here, and they're different. Now you do have choices and try to make the best choice you can. That's helpful and caring with other people. Not like you have to go out and fix things. That's you in charge. Let the you in charge go. Just you live here, experience, interact, be helpful, but don't necessarily have to go fix things. The only person you can fix is yourself. So once you see yourself as the great fixer, then that becomes a problem for other people who don't want to be fixed, <laughs> you see, and uh, who don't see you as the great fixer. It just creates lots of problems. So if he just lets that go and just has the experiences, makes good choices, and, you know, I'd even suggest that he keep his experiences to himself unless he's talking to somebody like you or a friend or other people who understand, because some people, if they say, Oh yeah, I was, you know, I was all love and I was connected to everything. They're right away. going to think you're a mental case because they don't understand their, their consciousness isn't well developed yet. So keep those kinds of things to yourself, learn from them, what you can share them with the people who you can share them with, who understand, but otherwise just, Live your life making good choices, taking care of your own evolution. You're not responsible for anybody else's. So if you could help him come to those kinds of understandings, I think that might, you know, that might be a value. Yeah. That's what I thought too. Like, um, just having the experience and using that as a good way to know what's, what's good what's yeah. right feels good right and then right. Just, it doesn't have to do anything with that experience just have it yeah. and internalize it and let it mean to him what it means to him but it's not like he has to go out and now preach or you know fix other people i mean having having a loving intention that's what what i usually usually do like having a thankful loving intention but then i'm i'm caught in that because i'm trying too much and that that was That's, yeah, yeah. You're trying too much to do when it's more a matter of just being. Don't don't focus on what you plan to accomplish and how you're going to accomplish it. Focus more on just being, interacting, giving of who you are, and however that however those chips fall, let them fall however they do. Learn from them. All right. Thank you. Mm -hmm. 
Tom, we've got a couple of questions from Abdul. He's coming to us from audio today behind the scenes. So please go ahead, Abdul. Thank you, Donna. Hi, Tom. Hi, Abdul. All right, so I'll read my first question first. Um, is it unhealthy to consume food that has been heated in a microwave? Have you found a difference in the way microwave heated food reacts to your body as opposed to one that has been heated through other means, such as in the oven or in a pot over a stove? So that is question number one. Ah, well, that's easy to answer. I have not noticed any difference or anything negative about food heated in a microwave. Uh, no, I have not. Uh, I heat food in the microwave all the time and have no uh, problem with that. I know that there are people, lots of people, who think that a microwave somehow changes the character of the food or the nature of the food or does something negative to the food, but I don't put a lot of credence in that from my own experience and from my understanding of how a microwave works, you know, it's, it's not going to affect molecular structure or atomic structure. It's just going to cause the water molecules in the substance uh, to vibrate with a little more energy, which is what we call heat. And it's not going to change those molecules in any way. It's just going to get them oscillating a little more. So, no, I don't have any issues with microwave. Good to know. That would actually make my life uh, a lot easier. <laughs> yeah, microwaves are very uh, convenient. For sure. All right, so I'll go to my question number two then. Uh, how important is the idea of uh, loyalty and faithfulness in relationships within the context of MBT? I've heard you say that commitments are important, but I've also inferred um, you have a somewhat liberal view of sexuality from your talks. So what are your views regarding the ethics on this subject? Okay. That's a little more difficult than the first question, but not too difficult. Uh, let's uh, approach it from, a, from a, a, a little different viewpoint, and that is that love is about other. Okay. Love is something you give, and it's unconditional. Well, when it's unconditional, that means, obviously, there are no conditions. You just love that person. Okay. So in that case, all marriages or, or relationships or, or connections that are based on love are what's called open, I think, in the literature. There are, there are no conditions placed on it. And that's the nature of love. If there's conditions placed on it, well, yes, I love you as long as you do this, this, and this. And, you know, you meet my needs and, you know, I'll meet your needs. And this will be a, it's an arrangement. It's a bargain. It's a deal. It's not love. If you love someone and that someone, you know, wanders away from you, well, you just hope that they're wandering into something that makes them happy because you care for them. You love them. You want them to be happy. So if they need to go somewhere else to be happy, then you're happy that they're happy. You see, if it's like, oh, I don't want that because that takes something away from me. Well, that's self-centered. That's you worrying about you. Self-centeredness 
creates difficulties in relationship. Love solves problems within a relationship. Now, having said that, I realize that that's a very difficult situation for most people. Most people are up to their eyebrows in fear, and you know that fear creates beliefs and self-centeredness and ego, and they have to deal with that. And it's hard for them to just love unconditionally. As a matter of fact, everybody has a you know has a finite capacity to love. It's it's we we you know we what theoretically we all can love totally, but actually who we are and the level of consciousness we have, we have limits of how much we can give. And those limits have to do with how self-centered we are, how how much fear we have, the beliefs that we have. And those, if we have a lot of beliefs, a lot of self-centeredness, then our ability to love is smaller. If we have much less, we have very, very few beliefs and fears and self-centeredness, then our capacity to love is much greater. So, there's people who are in very dysfunctional relationships and they're loving as much as they can. But that amount, you know, the, the degree to which they can love is limited because they have fear. So, so that's going to be most relationships aren't going to be unconditionally love based. <clears throat> now, there's a thing called integrity. Integrity is about not, it's about being honest. It's about ethics. It's about being upfront. It's about not lying, cheating, stealing, you know, sneaking around. Integrity is about being straightforward. It's just basic ethics. So now if you're in a relationship with somebody and you, you know, you care about them, at least even if it's not, unconditional love, then you should, in it, because you're in that relationship with them, have integrity within that relationship. And if you have a feeling that you need to stray elsewhere for a while, then you should tell them that. And you should ask them, is that a problem for you? And if they say yes, then now you have the choice. If that relationship is important to you, then you will not stray because they've told you that that's a problem for them. If that relationship is not really something you want, you feel it needs to change, it's too limiting for you, then it's time for you to move on, perhaps. You see, so that's the thing. But you have integrity. You don't say, well, gee, if I, uh, if I stray, then... If my significant other finds out, they're going to be really upset, but I'm going to do it anyway. There's no integrity in that. There's no ethics in that. And that's wrong. And you shouldn't do that. So, yes, your marriage can be open, but you have to have integrity. Everything has to be upfront, honest, straightforward. You don't do anything that will hurt that other person. No lying, no cheating, no stealing, you see. That ruins relationships. You have to be honest. So that, those are the 
you know, that's kind of the, the guidance I would give that if you have a very well-developed capacity to love, then it's irrelevant. You just love and you want that person to be happy. You want them to go and be wherever they're the happiest because you love them. But if your love isn't unconditional, if it's, oh, yeah, but I've got these needs and you need to meet my needs, well, then you need to at least be ethical. You need to at least, you know, tell your significant other exactly how you feel, how you will react, what you feel like doing or not doing or what they, you know, what they're doing, how it affects you. You need to be very upfront and never do anything that's sneaky or behind somebody's back, or hurts other people. Now, that also means that, let's say you decide that you need to have, you need to, uh, or you want to have an affair with Lady X, but Lady X is also married in a relationship, and her husband would not appreciate that. He'd be upset. Your integrity requires you to say no, because there's no integrity in sneaking behind somebody's back and doing something that will hurt them, you see? So this idea of being having an open marriage only works as long as everybody is happy with the arrangement. As soon as somebody says no, that means no, unless you want to terminate that relationship. Okay, so that's the basic idea. That's the way to govern, you know, those thoughts. So even if it's not your significant other, but it's somebody else's significant other, that's still a no, a no go. If there's lack of integrity in that relationship, you not only can't have a lack of integrity yourself, you can't involve yourself in a relationship that is a lack of integrity, you know, that shows a lack of integrity. So that I don't know. Does that uh, does that cover it all for you, Abdul? Uh, I'm trying to. It does. That was actually really helpful. Thank you. And um, just lastly, um, how comfortable are you with requests for healing through forums such as the Fireside Chat? The request for healing? Yeah, I'm not real open to that um, for a couple of reasons. <clears throat> One. If I'm open to that, I would have so many requests that it would be really hard to, you know, to to uh, deal with them. I know that I I try to downplay that a great deal, and I still get more requests than you know than uh, what I can I can deal with. So I get them in email. I get tons of requests. So that's one idea. It covers you up. And it becomes impractical. But that's not really the main reason. Another reason is is that I do heal. And when I'm asked, I tend to do what I can. But actually, reality is just the way it needs to be. Healing and changing things, going out and, and fixing things for other people, it sounds like, well, that would be very helpful. But in the bigger picture, it's not really so helpful. <clears throat> People need to deal with the things they have to deal with. That's the nature of growth. That's how we, that's how we learn. Stuff happens. We have to deal with it. 
And when stuff happens and we don't want to deal with it, so we get somebody else to fix it for us and now we don't have to deal with it. Well, that works fine when you're a child. You know, mommy, daddy, fix it for me. And they do. They come out and they fix it for you. And that's as it should be because they're not able to fix things and deal with things themselves. But when you grow up, things happen and you should deal with it. Things have consequences. Often illness is a result of negativity. It's a result of not being grown up. It's a result of your beliefs. It's a result of all the stress and anxiety you have because of all the fear that you have. You see, so you create these things. And the illness itself is a consequence. And we learn by having to deal with the consequences that we create. So from that viewpoint, you can see the world with all of its misery and illness as, well, it is just the way it is. Because we people are just the way we are. And for me to go in and, oh, take this problem away and take that problem away and fix this and that so that you don't have to deal with that, it's really interfering with your life. I'm coming in and changing your choices. That's not really such a great thing in general. Yeah, you should read my email. You know, I, I get I get letters like, uh, my dog left this afternoon and hasn't come back. Can you tell me where it is? You know, I get a lot of things like that. Uh, you know, some, some stories are, are sadder stories than others. Some are almost amusing. But in any case, you have to deal with these things. And part of dealing with life is dealing with sad things. Part of life is death. Uh, it's the way it is. People live, they make choices, they die. When they die, then their loved ones and the people that knew them have to deal with that death, have to deal with their absence. That's part of life. It's what we have to do. We grow from that. And if you're the one that's dying, well, you know, dealing with that fact that your time is short and you're dying, they, a lot of people grow up more, you know, in the last, what, two weeks of their life than they did in the... 50 years before that. So it's not necessarily a bad thing. We just start another incarnation and we start learning in another way. So for all those reasons, I tend to be a little like, well, I get my hand up, a little like this, you know, when it comes to putting my name out there. Sure, you know, ask Uncle Tom, you know, he'll help heal you. I, may, I keep that as low a profile as I can. On the other hand, when asked, I have a very difficult time saying no or not doing anything. So I tend to, to heal when asked to heal. And, of course, one finds that if it's really not some integral part of somebody's life process. It's just because they were at the wrong place at the wrong time, just picked up a bug, and that's why they're ill. Those are the easy things to heal. Those heal very quickly and easily. The things that it is 
all wrapped up in their life and their choices and their and their angst and their fear, then those are a lot harder. And often you'll even get pushback from it because they need that path that they're on. And then I back off and let it go however it goes. So that's my take on uh, healing, Abdul. uh, Yes, if asked, particularly by, you know, somebody somebody I know, you know, a friend says, oh, I don't want to have to deal with this. I'd like somebody to take this problem away from me. I will often do what I can because that's just natural. But, you know, even in my own family, like right now, my wife has been having headaches and she's got a swollen uh, lymph node in her neck that is very, very painful. She has a hard time even opening her mouth wide enough to eat. And she's been in pain for days and she has not asked me to heal her or to do anything about it. And I have not done anything about it because it's just life. Things happen in life and you deal with them. It's part of our experience here. It's part of our growing up process. Fixing everything you don't like puts you in a bubble. And now you're, you're just taking yourself out of the, of the entropy reduction trainer. You've created your own little bubble. And in your bubble, well, training is easy because nothing ever happens really that stresses you too much because you fix everything first. You create a a reality in this bubble that is nice and comfortable, but devoid of of, uh, major consequences. So in any case, uh, now uh, this morning, um, she had very little relief. So I will probably, if this doesn't go away, I will start to work on her. Not because she asked, but because I know she's suffering. And it's hard for me just to let her suffer and say, well, it's a part of life, dear. That's probably true, but it's hard for me to do that. So I will uh, I will do some work on her. But I don't just try to take away every problem that happens because that's, that's uh, not what I'm here for. I'm not here to fix other people's problems. I'm not here to fix my problems. If I get sick, I don't work on myself. I just experience it. Now, if it were a particular issue, you know, maybe I might work on it some. When I when my my daughter had a child with a with a uh, um, a hernia a herniated diaphragm, uh, I was asked, of course, to go check on that, and I did. And the little entity said, ah, "I'm out of here. I don't. I wasn't looking for this uh, kind of a problem." I don't, uh, I really don't uh, want to be here. So the little entity was ready to die, move on and do something else because it had no commitment yet. It had no uh, investment, right? It was only weeks old or months old, had no investment. It could just as easily go someplace else because the probability when you have this particular illness is that you're gonna end up deaf, blind or mentally retarded. You don't have to, but those things are suddenly a whole lot more likely. And this entity didn't want that path. That was going to be harder than what it had, it had signed up for. So I let that entity alone. We had some good conversations, but I didn't uh, really intrude there.
because that was their wishes. Fortunately, that entity changed its mind at the very last minute, of course, right before they were going to pull the plug on the heart-lung machine and, and let it die, it changed its mind. And because of that, then I was able to, to work on it. And so were a lot of other people. And then it accepted that energy rather than rejecting it. So it's not just, you know, the learning paranormal things isn't that you go around ordering life the way you like it or ordering other people's lives the way they'd like you to. That is something really to, to avoid. But if you're like me, you also find that it's difficult to say no. So I'm of two minds there. Well, of course I'll help. But uh, I'd just as soon not advertise that that's possible. Now, I've said this on a on an open forum. It's going to go out to 100,000 people. I don't know what that's going to do, but... It is just honest. It's the way it is. So I thought I would tell it that way. Tom Campbell here. INMBT Events. Hope you liked this video. We now have well over a thousand hours of free video on this user-friendly, ad-free YouTube channel. Though these videos are free to our viewers, they represent many thousands of hours in production and editing and many thousands of dollars invested in video and audio equipment, along with the required computers and software to store and process the raw video into finished products. So far, all of this content has been funded directly out of our own pockets. Be assured, we will always continue to do what we can. It's our life, our purpose, a labor of love that we will continue to pursue as best we can. However, those pockets are not as deep as they used to be. Thus, we are now seeking to augment our resources with support from our viewers. If you find something of significant value in our videos, please consider supporting their production through our Patreon account or through a one-time donation. The links are in the description below. Thank you.